On today's pod, Rich and I take a brief break from covering specific games to instead dive into the listener mailbag, talking about our concerns with the PJ Tucker at center lineups, about what Joel Embiid's usage rate would look like on the best version of this team, on whether the Sixers should consider making a change to the starting lineup, on whether or not the new players have met or exceeded our expectations, and a whole lot about head coach Doc Rivers. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? It's a tough one. It was a tough morning to wake up to. Even though we got the extra hour of sleep, this is a this is a tough day. Yeah, it was a, a great run for the Phils, but I, it just sucks. Like, you know, the Astros are a better team. I get that, but the Phillies were right there in that series. They had chances to win, and they didn't do it. No, I mean, look, you had the, you had the, the no-hitter, that one. Wasn't great, uh, but outside of that game, they were right there in, you know, the last two that they lost. Um, it is a, a play here, a play there. Could have gone uh, the other way. It is the randomness of baseball. They certainly benefited from some of that earlier in the run, but they also, I mean, they they played very good baseball for a very long time, uh, and it was devastating to see it come to an end. I'm, I'm not even close to being over it. Uh, that one hurt more than a loss has hurt in a quite a while. Trying to think, because the Kawhi shot is obviously different. Because you and I were like, "How do we get home tonight?" So you know, it changes things. <laughs> the one last one that hurt that much, it's it's been a little bit. It's been a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it would be, you know, for me, it would be an Eagles, Eagles Conference Eagles Championship. Ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick, pick one. There's too many to pick from, um, and that goes well beyond or well before I even started covering sports. Uh, so it's it's been a while. Great run, though. Great run. It really was. And and I think, uh, I don't even think it's going to take all that long. I think when we get a day or two beyond this, uh, we will realize that we got a unexpected jolt of excitement. And I think it was a nice reminder of just how magical playoff baseball truly is. Um, and it's, I don't think it's something you can really remember when you're 11 years removed from it. I think we needed that sort of reminder. Um, but the day in, day out, hectic, chaotic, nervous energy is just something that no other sport can really uh, represent. Every game feels like, you know, it's going to swing the series. There's a game pretty much every night. Uh, and it really is that cadence of an NBA's, NBA, of a baseball playoff schedule. Um, it's just, it's unmatched. It's incredible. Incredible. Sucks. It sucks. All right. But we will talk about the not incredible basketball team that we are covering. Let's right talk now, about a loss that didn't stick with us no, as much. No, not at all. In fact, the close stuck- loss to the New York Knicks the other night. It stuck with us so little that we're going to spend most of this podcast doing a mailbag podcast. Uh, that will be the focus of this episode. We sort of knew we were going to do that because we only had one game to talk about after the last one. And also that one was not all that interesting. You didn't have James Harden on the floor. Uh, you didn't have Joel Embiid on the floor. You had Tyrese Maxey, who I thought was going to hoist up 40 shots in that game. He ended up, what, with 29, I think. Struggled quite a bit there down the stretch, and they blew a game they probably should have won. Or at least yeah, they were in position to. Very yeah, I, you know what? I actually thought they played okay, considering they just they didn't make enough shots, and yeah, that's okay. And I thought their their execution against the Knicks small ball lineup at the end was bad. They made some mistakes, and but I, I think for most of the game, 
Like Tobias and Tyrese got them good shots. They they did the whole drive and kick thing, and they just didn't make any of them. I mean, what did they end up shooting? Thirteen of forty seven yeah. from beyond the arc. Not going to win too they're, many games that way. They're not going to win doing that, especially when they don't have Embiid and Harden. So for them to actually be close in the game is pretty good. And then you have the you know the crazy Paul Reed substitution yeah. at the end of the game, where look, I mean, the Sixers are four and six. I I don't think it's the end of the world. But they screwed up twice. Like, Trez on the possession before, just like, he left yep. Obi Toppin wide open in the strong side corner. What, what are you doing? Yep. That was the easiest pass ever. I mean, it was whatever. And so you, you have that, and then you have Paul Reed leaving Toppin a couple possessions after. And, you know, Doc, you know, you want to get on him for the substitution. I mean, I thought it was a terrible substitution. So, you know, I will get on him for that. That was kind of ridiculous to put them both on the floor at the end of the game. If you don't do that and you don't do... Tobias Harris's stupid help defense in the uh yeah. the Bucks game. You're six and four. Yep. And it's like, look, yeah, you know, that's how thin the margins can be in the NBA, but at the same point at the same um time, like those are losing plays. Yeah. <laughs> you, you cannot make losing plays actively harmful plays at the end of these these games, and the Sixers are are doing that pretty consistently right now. So yeah. That's no, all I have to say. That's a hundred percent, hundred percent fair. Uh, and when you start looking at, you know, they've got, let's say they have 12 games here uh, without Joel Embiid coming up. Hey everyone, this is Derek from the future here. I misspoke a second ago and said that the Sixers could play hypothetically 12 games coming up without Joel Embiid. I obviously meant that they could play that stretch without James Harden because of the tendon strain in his right foot. But because of the amount of confusion that could have caused, and because Embiid is currently out with the flu, I did want to make sure I clarified that I'm talking about a potential stretch of play without Harden, and that I previously misspoke. All right, back to the pod. You know, I thought they were going to ease their way into a lot of wins this year. So far, that hasn't really happened, so you're getting to the point where you're just worried, like, all right, are they going to lose out on seeding because they're throwing away games here in a... In in October and November, um, they're not playing great basketball. They haven't really played great basketball consistently at any point this season. And their record reflects a team, like you said, that's making losing plays more than they should. And it's one thing for, you know, the previous loss to the Wizards when their defense was just an abomination. That's concerning. Uh, and that will be concerning until it rectifies itself or at least gets a little more competitive. And then you have these games against the Bucks, against the Knicks, where it's just lost opportunity and you combine the mistakes, the mental mistakes along with getting physically beat and the lack of effort. And it is um, tough to be super encouraged about this team right now. It's not a death sentence by any, any measure, uh, but a very frustrating, exceptionally frustrating thing to watch. They just, they lose weight. They lose games in, in different ways every yeah. night. And that's yeah. concerning. Yeah. Like their effort was fine against the Knicks. I thought it was good. In fact. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but they look, you can't have brain farts at the most important part of the, the games. That's how you lose. I think it was uh, one of our, our colleagues thought that they were going to bring Reed in for Trez, and then Trez got fouled and went to the line. So they said, "Ah, screw it. We'll you know we'll bring him in for uh, PJ Tucker." Well, no, you can't. Like that. Not that, a good. Not a good answer. <laughs> no, bring bring Reed back. And to be clear, that's not an answer that anyone gave us. That was speculation from another writer. Uh, and I I guess you can kind of give Doc the benefit of the doubt that you wouldn't look at that and say, you know what. I think Trez and Paul Reed is a good front court pairing right now. I don't, you know, maybe that's encouraging, but like, don't make the sub, pull him back. 
no, they, that was predictable. You looked up, you went, whoa, what, what the hell's going on? And it ended up burning him real bad. Real bad. Paul Reed, six steals in like, I think it was 18 minutes. Yep. Pretty good. Pretty That's good. His NBA skill. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Struggled, I thought, in the first quarter. Uh, I think we, or at least I mentioned, I don't know how long Doc's going to stick with him. Doc ended up sticking with him much longer than I thought, and, and Paul Reed rewarded him for that. Just don't put him on the court with Trez. That's all. That's the thing, too, about them losing games in new ways. Reed and Trez were very good in that game for yeah. the most part. Like, they're, if the, if those two are your centers and you get that performance from them, you should win the game. Yeah. But alas, they didn't. And alas, they, that has not been the case for most of the year. So, all right. Moving on see. to the mailbag, there might have been one or two questions about the head coach. We could not get to all of them, in part because some of them are just like, why? Well, I, I can't I can't answer an existential question like that. You got to give me a little more to work with. But also because <laughs> it would have been like an hour and a half podcast just talking about Doc. But the first one from Ryan. Uh, do you think that this is a rotation problem, a team gelling problem, or a coaching scheme problem? It's probably all of the above. If you Whenever made me you pick, ask a question like that, it's almost always all of the above. If you made me pick one of the three, I would say it's a team gelling problem would be my my way to go about that, though. The problem is there are some things like effort, like focus, that I don't really know how to categorize them. It could be team gelling because you're just not used to what your teammates do or need. It could be coaching because they're not being motivated or not being made aware of you know, where their head should be at at certain stages of the game. You could almost just throw a fourth in there and it'd be like, you know, players have to do better. And that's some factor in there too. Like you said, it's all of the above, almost always. What we argue about are the percentages that you would attribute to each one. But I think there's very real examples of, of pretty much all of them uh, that he listed. They're, they're, like you said, they're, they're failing on many different fronts. And it would almost be impressive if they didn't have such high expectations. Yeah. Yeah, if this were the first year of them being good, if this were 2017-18, you know, I'd say, okay, you know, f- fix some of the, these things, turn it around, but... We're not at that point right now. So 2017-18, Joel gave more consistent effort than 2022-23 Joel has given so far. Well, look, I mean, if we're going to talk about what a a problem has been, so the problem was Joel Embiid was terrible for the first week of the season, and then Joel Embiid was sick for the third week of the season, the entire third week. Yeah. And that puts them in a rough spot because now James Harden's hurt, is, is also injured, so... That, that's the problem. Um, In terms of Doc, I'm just going to get out in front of this right now. The main thing for me when I would say, like, hey, you, you have to remove this guy, uh, in terms of, like, coaching scheme and rotation, that's – look, there are things that he has done this year that I just don't agree with, and, and Trez being the main one. Like, I, I just don't agree with playing Trez when he is playing poor. Um, Do you I would think give there are Reed- other podcasts out there that focus on a backup center as much as we have been forced to? And I want to say that as much as we do, like, I feel like every time we're like, eh, I don't know if this is going to work out. Like, we've been pretty close to being right in, on the right side of history. It's just mind boggling. There's no fan base that has ever thought about the backup center. <laughs> and I mean, in terms of writers, too, like anybody who follows the team, which we are included in. Just, uh, yeah, we, we think about the backup center more than the other 30 teams combined. Yeah, it's or the other 29 teams combined. I'm sorry. Uh, as far as Doc is concerned, though, there's like you know, scheme, the whole lose another way thing. There are things that he has done that has frustrated me. The, the Trez thing, 
I, I don't understand. I mean, like, on the one hand, I think having Trez in the game at the, you know, at the end against the Knicks is probably bad. But also, like, you could see Doc on the bench. Like, Trez is not executing that game plan. Like, he's not supposed to leave Obi Toppin in right. the strong side corner when DeAnthony Melton has Jalen Brunson, like, in front of him and handled. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. For me, he, here is when you fire Doc. If they continue to play listless basketball, yeah. if they continue, if we see some more of the first week lack of effort, that type of stuff, which, uh, look, I'm not saying won't happen. You know, I, I think it's that's going to be a you know it when you see it type of thing. The past week, I would say, hasn't really fallen under that umbrella right. for me. It's more, you know, yeah, he might be pushing some of the wrong buttons, but also the buttons he has to push kind of suck right now. So... That's the type of thing. So if you see listless play, not getting back in transition, poor communication, like the same problems persisting over and over, uh, that is when I think it would be reasonable to want a new voice in which, there. Um, which is why in the first week of the season, when that was a very consistent trend, uh, that was a legitimate talking point. Maybe not yeah. four games in the season, but like, hey, what happens if this keeps going on? Uh, and then, like you mentioned... Other things have happened, which sort of brings us into our next question. This one, for and, it, and and the other thing, Derek, real quick, like it's going to be a you know it when you see it thing, man. It, if we see that and they continue to not play hard, okay, fine, he might get fired, but man, that's going to suck. In the oh short yeah, term. no, that that's very much one of those. Well, this is the easiest lever to pull, and the one with the least consequences. Let's pull it and see what happens, and hope. And sometimes it works. Who was it? Uh, Ken Rosenthal, who said that. You know, yeah. firing wouldn't fix all the Phillies' problems. Well, it, Boy, it, it, I will not be writing that column. I'll tell <laughs> no, you that. But Just for the, the potential blowback <laughs> yeah, at the end yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understood where he was coming from because I do think a lot of times we look at the coach and say, well, let's change that because we sort of like hope it fixes it because the, well, these guys aren't giving enough effort is a much tougher question to actually grapple with. So what you hope that the change improves that, that problem. Sometimes it does, uh, but you would certainly go into that nervous. Which sort of brings us to our next question from Kellen Pastor, the odd engineer on Twitter, which as a former engineer, a reformed engineer, we're all odd. It's a feature, not a bug. Do you think the hardened injury hurts the Sixers effectiveness long term by not letting them build defensive chemistry or helps by getting Maxi more lead ball handler reps? Yes and yes, I would yeah. say. Yeah. So here is where I think it, it just could help. Like as much as they do need to build defensive chemistry in the long run. Harden is a big part of that lack of effort and just poor defense. Maybe they just need to start playing better defense with some group of five players on yeah. the court. And I think having Harden out could help them. Um, and having terms, 60 games left when Harden comes back or whatever it would be. Like, you have time to build that defensive chemistry. Like, if he comes back in early December and by February we're still talking about a lack of communication— that's a big problem. Like you have plenty of opportunity to fix that and correct that. Uh, that would not be a valid excuse at all. And it could be a thing where you start to build the right habits and then you throw him in and say like, hey man, not not acceptable to, to not be trying on defense yeah. at this point. Yeah. So could be a positive in that run. So, you know, definitely don't want to uh, worry too much about that aspect. As far as Maxi getting ball handler reps, like I think the... The Knicks game was the perfect example. He uh, he basically had to sink or swim. And I, when Joel comes back, it will not be to that crazy degree. But, uh, you know, he, he had to sink or swim, and he, he sank in the fourth quarter. He just did not do a good job on his isolations, took some wild driving yeah. layups that just had 
very low percentage plays. But, you know, and, and I will give Doc credit for this. After the game, he says, look, he had a tough night at the end of it. That's okay. I'm not worried about him. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to he's gonna watch a tape. He's going to figure it out and, and see what he did wrong. And I completely agree. So yep. overall, you know, we, we did wonder a little bit like, ah, do you have to get Maxi a little more involved? Harden has all of this time of possession, all of these things. I, I definitely think like in terms of Maxi's growth, it's this is not going to be a bad thing this yeah, month. I agree. I agree. This one from Jamers, this is the one I actually meant to rent read last time. This is the the natural transition from what we were previously talking about, but it is it's not even the morning. I don't even have an excuse. I just read the wrong fucking question. Uh anyway, from it's Jamers. Like one o'clock with the uh, I know, I know, the I know. Time change here, man. I was trying I was gonna blame it on springing forward, and I'm like, nope, that's the other time of year. How many cups of coffee you want right now? <laughs> The the same answer as always. A couple, but not enough. Anyway, Jamers, do you think illness and injury could prevent the Sixers from firing Doc? No, I think just flat out, if they are bad enough, if these problems continue to persist, then I don't think the having a month of the season, which was bumpy and rocky and unpredictable, I don't think that would be a either a valid excuse or one that the Sixers would particularly use. If they think they will correct some of the problems uh, with a change at the top, and if they think that is the only real way, or at least the best way to pull that lever, uh, then I don't think that an excuse for a couple of weeks will matter. Yeah, look, they just need to continue to play like they did in that game against the Knicks. If they do, I don't think he's getting fired because I think they're going to start winning some games and and Beat will be back. But yeah, he he the injury and the illness, it's not an excuse for losing every single game. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're going to have to at least weather the. Uh, the storm a little bit here so agreed yeah uh, that's right. my general point there this is the last thought question um because they could get a little bit repetitive i know have, that this is a com- <laughs> a topic that everybody has on their mind but have you seen by the way the sixers twitter account yeah. their mentions yeah. are yeah. unbelievable they are literally they could be posted like a charity thing and it's just fire doc yeah. for <laughs> yeah. yeah no they, they I, i've rarely seen a, a fan base Everybody um, is out on Doc. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think we tend to overly simplify problems with the team at times. Um, but he's also not been great. So I, I get it. I get there it. are parts of it that I get. I do. All right. So this one from Bill. Do you think Doc has Embiid and Harden support? Hence why the front office won't fire him. I no. Like there's one thing. Like, do I think like Embiid and Harden are like pushing for a change? I certainly don't have anything to say that I know of that or any reason to believe that. Do I think that like Embiid and Harden would be like, absolutely not. You can't make a change. I have nothing to suggest that either. I think that's the likeliest answer too. I think Embiid is, if if you follow his comments as closely as we do, uh, I feel like his comments about Doc have been more supportive than the fan base might know if, if you're not watching it in a, in a day in day out basis. So I, you know, and I, Joel does not strike me as a, I want this coach coach fired fired. guy. Yeah, I I agree. He is more of a, this GM was an (laughs) asshole to me and I'm going to troll him for the rest of my life kind of guy after it's kind of over. Um, I'm assuming you saw when he said we've had a bunch of really smart people working uh, for the team and then the other GM or however he phrased it, I don't remember how he phrased it, but he went out of his way to point out uh, the one GM he didn't like without naming him by name. That's the type of guy he is. I, I don't think he is an in the moment. I, I don't think he's fire. going to Daryl. You need to fire this guy. Yeah. But I also don't yeah. think he's, if, if Daryl comes to him and says like, hey, we think a change of coach would uh would help, which again, I 
don't think Daryl has done, but I don't think he would, he would, I think he would leave that into the hands of Daryl is what I'm saying. That seems like the likeliest outcome, even though we don't, we don't know exactly what Joel is thinking. The, the other thing I would say is that they'll kind of prove where they are with doc. Like again, it's, we I talked about this. The way that doc gets fired is if they continue to not play hard. And Joel is the biggest part of that. Yeah. So if Joel oh, Joel playing Harden. Harden. Yeah. yeah. The two people he asked about. Um, they no, said I playing agree. better and playing harder. I agree. That will be their support for Duck. This one from Senor Talon. Do we need an actual backup point guard now that Harden is out for a month? It's a good question because those units in that Knicks game, you know, we got a little point Ferk and it felt like we kind of put that in the, the rear view mirror <laughs> yeah. last season. And uh, yeah, I, I, well... And I guess my my question would be because they went with Point Ferk and Shake and and those guys. It's like maybe you should have Melton on those backup units if you're going to actually try to move forward with uh, with this group. But I yeah, I, I think bringing in another ball handler would not be the worst idea in the world. It's that's the funny thing about when you have Harden and Maxi, you have all the ball handling you need. But it, as soon as you remove Harden. Then it becomes a crisis, you know, it becomes not, yeah. not a crisis, but it becomes an issue for sure. So uh, I, I don't think that's a bad thought at all. I mean, look, Maxi is going to be playing 38 to 40 minutes here over the, le- the next month. Whether you like that or not, like I think Doc is going to play him a lot, assuming he's out of foul trouble. So you're only talking about a couple minutes uh, and you're talking about some combination of Shake and Ferk you know, getting you through those minutes and, and Melton. I agree. Melton can, uh, as much as I'm not, Pro point Melton, uh, when you're talking about that or Ferk, hey, give it a shot. Um, or or uh, like point Tobias, like they went all bench the other night. Like yeah. get Tobias can dribble the ball, like like get him involved. Or moving forward too, I, I think the the point Ferk or you know whoever lineups. works better when Joe is exactly, yeah. and that's what they did last season. Yep. Uh, so like the question, you know, that was never a third b- ball handler like that, like a third point guard. It's tough to invest those resources when you have Maxi and and Harden already there. And I think when you're now in the middle of the season, you're not going to invest many resources because, oh, by the way, they don't really have very many draft pick left draft picks left to trade. So I don't necessarily, I don't expect there to be a move here. You just have to live with what you have. And could they have used another one coming in the season? Maybe, but like when you're healthy, you have two who play 40 minutes per night. Uh, so it's tough to, like I said, really invest that many resource, resources into something that is not going to be used all that often. But I think it will be exposed a little bit here over the next couple of weeks. This one, also from Senior Talon. Are you worried about the atrocious defense recently with lineups led by Tucker at center? Yes. Yes, yes very much. Very much. I don't remember if we talked about this on the l- most recent podcast or if that was the podcast that we had to delete. That group, yeah, we, we spent like 20 minutes on it. Yeah. yeah, that group has been disappointing. It's been very disappointing. And I think part of the problem is that it's overextended. Like, I think when we came into the season looking at that, we said, all right, you're going to put that with Tucker at center and Harden and maybe like three switchable wings, well, all of a sudden you're doing that in your starting lineup. And that the equation changes a little bit when you're doing it with Harden and Maxi on the perimeter. It's a lot harder to switch. So the lack of rim protection becomes more evident when against other team starters too. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is that we were expecting it to be like a couple minutes here and there against teams and matchups where it was advantageous. And then all of a sudden you looked up and you've got to do it for, you know, 70 minutes over two games against the uh, against the Wizards. Uh, I think it was overextended. But when you have a team that is 
playing this poorly as a team defensively, especially in terms of off-ball miscues. Those kind of things just get highlighted very much. I'm still very intrigued by what this can unit can do against the right matchups, but so far they just haven't... Uh, like I said, I think it's mostly that they've been over overextended, and also P.J. Tucker has been a little bit disappointing. Well, and, and as as we mentioned, those units are still in the positive because they're scoring at an absurd rate. Yeah. It's, I think it's like 123 offensive rating, yep. 119 defensive rating. Over, you know, almost 200 possessions on cleaning the glass, so like decent sample size at this point. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on the, the overextended part because, they're look, they're starting these games with Harden, Maxi and Melton, man, you're small yeah. already with yep. that. Like that—that that was a group in the preseason we talked about. Should these guys even be playing at all? The three of them together, and I was assuming Embiid would be kind of back in the game on that one. No, you're, you're starting with that group, and then you don't even have Melton for the, uh, you know, you've Thibel for the the Wizards game where they got completely lit up. So, look, I, I think. The best path for that group is I want to see it on backup units, and I want to see it with Harden, Melton, and pick two wings. Tobias yep. probably as one of them, and, and then you know like like another wing like Hal Steibel, somebody, and and that's the group I want to see in a smaller period being able to switch, being able to you know play hard. I mean again it, it comes down to the effort thing. That group has to be the try hard group. You yep. have to be rotating quicker because you are smaller and you should be faster than some of these groups. And, you know, I, I definitely think like not having Melton in that wizards game was a big deal. Yeah. I he, he's going to be an important part of those small ball groups, but you know, Tucker has been, I would say disappointing and it basically having Harden and Maxi with that group defensively is, is an issue. So yeah, I am, uh, I am concerned about it. Still want to see more of it because they score a lot of points when they play that way. And that looks if not 123 offensive rating, that looks fairly sustainable as well. Yeah. It is one of those ones where I feel like a lot of what we are talking about, we really need them to get healthy, uh, get on the floor, and also just have a period where you're seeing consistent effort so you can actually judge what this team is capable of. Because when the effort was as bad as it was in the first week, it's hard to know what's not working because of scheme and personnel and what's not working because they're just not focused and engaged and consistently trying hard. Uh, and like you mentioned, that has to be the try hard group. It was being put out there with uh, with combinations that probably weren't going to work. And also the effort was very, very, very inconsistent, especially in that second Washington game where a lot of these minutes came from. But, if, you know, if you go back to the, well, okay, I guess it was the Bucks game, second game of the year, yeah. they went to it and they completely turned the game around. Yeah. If you're telling me that in February they play another important game against the Bucks, the Celtics, somebody like that, and they play that card and it completely swings the game and it's like, you know, it's a legitimate weapon they can use when they need it, I would not be surprised by that. They, they, they got some shit to figure out, though. I agree. I agree. Um, I think I would attribute a lot of that to it. It's just been overextended and used too much and in places where it shouldn't. Yep. All right. So this is... Had a couple different people with variations of basically asking whether or not they should make a change in the starting lineup. Most recommending bringing Melton in for either Tucker uh, or Harris. No. I wouldn't yet. I understand a lot of where it's coming from. Just getting a little more perimeter defense, maybe getting a little more um, tiny bit more ball handling and whatnot. I think it's too early and too many extenuating circumstances. And I do think Tucker is going to get better as the season progresses. And I'm not so much worried about 
I mean, I, I will be worried about seeding, but that's not my primary concern right now. My primary concern is still, let's evaluate what they can do and, and figure out what your best lineup is. I just think they need a little bit more time. I do worry a little bit about having three very short guys on a perimeter as much as, as Melton is a good defender. I think that would be tough to work on a night-to-night basis. I would give it more time. Yeah, what? I mean, they're they're plus 5.3 early in the season. It's not good enough, I by the way. Pretty much every they've... starting lineup we've had has been plus 15 to 20. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. They have to be better, for sure. But you know what? I kind of think they're going to get there. They Joel Embiid was terrible for the first week. And he didn't play the whole third week because he got sick. So that's the biggest issue. And the other thing with, uh, you know, I thought I completely agree with all of your points, but I, I just think that's too small of a group if you put Melton in the game and that's where it gets overextended. The other thing is I don't want to um, punish Tobias Harris, who I think is playing okay yeah, and fitting into his role okay. So yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, not perfect by any stretch, but. Fitting into his role much better than I would have expected. He's um, way down the list of the uh, the issues on the team right now. This one from Avi. In the very best version of this team, what does Joel Embiid's offensive usage rate look like? High. It will always be high. That's true. I mean, I think it'll be, you know, like what was it like the last couple of years? 36, 34? I'm looking at it right now. Uh his usage last season was... 34, was two years ago. Oh, no, this this year it's 34. Last year it was 37. Then 35, 33, 33, 33, 36. That's amazing. I think I think 37 is probably a little too high on the ideal version of the team because you have Maxi and uh, and Harden. But yeah, I think you essentially want it in you know, low 30s where it is around now and you want him taking super efficient shots and you know scoring at a high level. Joel Embiid, by the way, is shooting 53% from the field right now. It's pretty high for him. Yeah. Yes, it is. And that's, I mean, that's honestly part of why you're never going to see him drop into the 20s, I don't think, because he's always going to be your most talented scorer. He's always going to be, even if he's not maybe 
running the offense as much, even if he's not dominating the ball or controlling the ball as much as he currently does, he's going to be finishing a lot of plays. And for Joel Embiid, his usage rate is primarily driven by finishing plays, not by setting up his teammates, because so much of his teammates or so much of his assists um, or shot creation comes more as hockey assists than traditional um, one-stop passes. So yeah, I think his, his usage rate is always going to be high. And quite frankly, like this goes back, I think, a little bit to the conversation we were previously having, where it's like, I don't necessarily want to make two wholesale changes or drastic changes to this team right now until you see them play more consistently together, until you see them play at a consistently high effort level. Uh, I feel like we have a, a struggle here of evaluating what the Sixers have. And that, quite honestly, might be a little tough to uh, to gauge coming up because Joel Embiid just took a you know a week, week and a half off here where he wasn't playing because of the flu. And historically, Embiid struggles when he comes back from layoffs like that. So it might be tough to get a whole lot of data at this time. Uh, so I would just kind of, you know, theoretically, I get the question. And I think theoretically, maybe you would say that he has the ball less frequently and less time in possession with the ball. But his usage rate is always going to be high. Look, he's out right now, but I think Harden, that time of possession number I keep citing, that that could stand to go down yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really just Embiid. They need to be, I don't know, like a, a quicker hitting team Yeah. in general. Like, like get that ball moving side to side. That's how Maxi gets more involved. That's how Tobias gets, you know, his like six, seven threes per game. That's uh, and that, I think that's ultimately how Embiid gets the easy points we're talking about, like the quick hitting actions. I, you, you nailed the point too. The biggest concern I have with this team in the short term right now is that Joel Embiid just missed a full week because he couldn't breathe really because of the flu. And you know, Doc mentioned you know he's not doing a lot of running. You know, we we saw him warm up before that Knicks game though. Yeah, Man, he did not. None of us <laughs> thought he would. He would. He would. That was that, a, game. that was a no go. Like he. Yeah. The, the the simplest thing is usually he sprints off the court like he like jumps over the, you know, the bench and, you know, whatever steps they have, the hockey boards they have to run back in the locker. Man, he was walking back as slow as he ever has after that uh, abbreviated session. That's the biggest concern with the team right now. They, they need him to be last season, December, January, Joel Embiid because Harden is out and, you know, they need to stay afloat here. Well, man, I mean, what a bad entry point into yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, that's look, my concern right now. Part of the reason that that number is never going to get too low is because every role player you have on the team is a play finisher, not a play starter. Even if you run a lot through Harden, which they currently do, and even if you up Maxi a little bit, there's just you need to rely on Joel Embiid a lot to initiate your offense. There's just like you don't want. Melton creating that many looks. You don't want PJ Tucker creating his own looks. You don't even really want Tobias Harris creating all that many of his looks. So as much talent as they have around him, you need Joel Embiid to force rotations and get guys good looks. And the best version of this team has Joel Embiid doing a lot of that. Uh, maybe that's a 30% usage rate or a 32% usage rate instead of 37%. That I agree with, uh, but it's not going to get too low. Um, all right. To so answer this, obvious question in the short term, though, over the next month? A lot. It's going to be high. I, be I think high. 38 to 40 would be okay. <laughs> Might be necessary, in fact. Uh, this one from Bill. From the first 10 games so far, um, what do you think the Sixers are still lacking? I sort of interpret this as more like personnel, like what, you know, 
backup point guard or big wings or something like that. Um, that's sort of how I interpreted the question. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's not as much that as kind of just a general team attribute yeah, of what they're lacking. They're lacking speed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about a third ball handler, but I don't think that's towards the top. It's just something you could point at. Maybe a backup big man who has enough experience for Dr. Trust, but enough mobility to not be Trez. I guess you could point to that as something that they're lacking. They certainly could use a little more size on the perimeter with uh, a lot of their defenders. But I also, like, I, there are a lot of questions that I got, like, hey, what's the trade market look like? It looks like nothing. It's early November. There's no trade market right now. <laughs> like, we, you know, this is the team you got for a couple months. Let's see what they can do. Yeah, and, you know, on paper, this should still be, I don't know, like a, a team with less weaknesses than most teams. Yeah. And and they really haven't shown it. I, You know, I, I think their bench has been... Really disappointing on the whole. Just re- really. I mean, outside of Melton, I you know, you're getting nothing from House. Yep. I well, I mean, that, that actually brings us into our final question. Good transition there, Rich. Uh, this one from Drew. What's your assessment of the new players brought in? Anything different than what you expected? I, I really like Melton. I know he shot one of 30 the other night, but I like the shots he took, and it's... You know, I, I feel like we had a pretty good beat on what DeAnthony Melton is. Honestly, his, you know, you looked at the steal and block numbers and you looked at kind of the defensive rebounding numbers, all of the athleticism indicators on defense. That shit pops out in person. They, does. The Knicks ran a uh, a couple pick and rolls at him and Paul Reed. That's a mistake, man. Look, yeah. like you could score on the Sixers with Melton and Paul Reed on the court. Do not put them in the same general vicinity of the ball like one of those guys is going to poke the ball away so uh, I really like him and that's why you know when I just said this team is lacking speed that's why he's a very important player because yep. he's fast and he could jump and all the, that good stuff um, and yeah he also has his moments where it's like oh easy D'Anthony like let's uh, you know m- maybe don't run that pick and roll when Maxi is open at the top of the key maybe don't go one and three on the fast break but Overall, I like that he is a a confident and willing three point shooter as well. So I he he is doing what I expected so far, but probably been even a little bit better than I thought. Like just I, I appreciate what that guy does. Yeah, no, I agree. His defensive playmaking has been great. He's made enough shots on a perimeter. He's been he's outside of the, like the first two games were just head scratching because they were not what we expected at all. Since then, he's been almost exactly what we expected, and probably even better at it. Uh, he's been real good. House has been. Real bad, real disappointing. Real bad. <laughs> um, Trez has, I think, mostly. Well, I, no, I don't think so. Trez, I think, has been has been a lot less than we expected too. Yes. I think we spent most of it going. Look, I don't know if he's uh, actually. I'm pretty confident he's not playable in the playoffs. But this is a guy who is a legit NBA player, a legit rotation player who should help you win games in the regular season. He has not been helping you win games in the regular season outside of maybe one game against Washington. A game here, a game there. For the most part, he has been he's been he's been bad, and it's been frustrating to watch. And he doesn't look the same athletically. Again, I don't remember we had this conversation. I don't remember if it's on the pod that we actually ended up release, releasing. But he has not looked nearly as good athletically or in numbers as we expected. Uh, that's been frustrating as well. Yeah, you know, it probably went up a little bit after the the Knicks game the other night. But he was, you know, he was career low usage, career low shooting around the rim. Yep. If you're getting that from from Montrez, he's not helping you. Yeah. 
you know, we, we, we know about his defensive limitations. So, yeah, he's been disappointing, and it's gotten to the point where, again, we have a backup center controversy because I thought, okay, maybe Doc isn't going to play Paul Reed, but I thought Trez was going to be serviceable in those minutes. Yeah. Like, it's going to be a, a begrudging, like, hey, look, you know, you're, you're not getting killed by having this guy on the court. And there have been, I'd say, four games probably where that's felt like the case, where you're you're getting smoked with him. So that's something to monitor moving forward. As for, uh, yeah, I mean, House, House has just been bad. I don't know yeah. how to say that in any other way. Like, I... I wonder a little bit if he is a product of when he has been good over the past few years, he has been good in very rigid roles in these spread offenses. Utah, they run, you know, the the blender, the pick and roll, just keep driving and kicking. Really, I mean, like for a wing shooter, that's as good of a environment to be in. And I think when you play with Harden in Houston, that also was a pretty good environment to be in. You know, spread the floor. If Capella's there, you have... You've prime hardened feeding you the ball. So I, hopefully he gets a little bit better as the Sixers, you know, f- figure out their overall offensive identity. But I, I understand why there's frustration there. And then Tucker, you know, he's had some good moments. You know, he, he definitely has played well off of Harden at times offensively with, uh, you know, a little floater game. He's, he's very adept at slipping screens. But... You know, and he had some, he's had some okay small ball moments like that Milwaukee game. I thought he was awesome in yep. for the most part. And he's he's made his shots like he's shooting real well from the the field uh, from three. But he's also getting lit up a good amount on the defensive end. And this team is a poor defensive team, and he was brought in to make them better. So yep. I, I think he deserves a decent amount of blame in that. And for that reason, I think probably a slight disappointment to start the year. Yeah, I think stat line is probably almost exactly what you'd expect, but I don't think it has been quite as impactful as I think we were expecting. I think it's nail on the head defense part is, I think, you know, he's probably asked a little bit overextended again, you know, you're in Miami, you have Jimmy Butler to defend a lot of wings. You're in Milwaukee. You have Giannis. He doesn't really have that kind of help here right now. So I think you're relying on him maybe a little more than you optimally, optimally would for a player who is 38. And also there's just been more lapses than I was expecting, which, uh, I think is maybe the most disappointing part. I think he will be good. I don't think this is necessarily a guy who, like, I don't think his struggles right now are because he is 38 uh, or 37, uh, whatever he is. I think for him, there's probably been a little more of an adjustment than we would have expected because he is that drop and play veteran. But I expect him to get back. I think he'll be a real good playoff player for them, for sure. It just feels like on those small ball lineups, like he's kind of stuck in between dropping and switching and, and they have no idea what they're doing. And so if, if P.J. Tucker is confused about what to do, he's not fast enough to to make up for that now. Yep. So he he kind of feels like the the defensive version of House. They don't really have their shit together on that end. Okay, well, then he's probably not going to be so hot. You have the Suns on Monday at Atlanta on Thursday and then back at the Wells Fargo Center for a, another game against the Hawks on Saturday before hosting the Jazz on Sunday. The surprising Jazz. They're playing pretty good basketball. We'll see whether or not they can keep that up. It's but a tough think, week. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty tough week, especially like we talked about. You know, you've got Harden out. You've got Joel Embiid coming back. You don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. Uh, they need to pick up a couple wins here, uh, or that narrative can start getting pretty overwhelming, especially now that we don't have the Phillies to distract us. 
But thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.